Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And this episode is a musical doubleheader. Up first is Boston area singer-songwriter Linda Marks, a longtime friend of the show. We talk about the new music released this year, some of which found its origins in violent shootings and the impact of the COVID pandemic. Linda and I discuss the messages shared and how she maintains a positive mindset after the last few years. This half of the year has been a very busy one for you. You've been releasing a lot of uh, new music, uh, released a album around uh, the beginning of the year. Yeah, uh, my home album came out on January 1st. That's right, that's right. And then you released um, uh, your Kindness album. Yeah, which uh, just came out on June 1st. Yeah, yeah, so two albums in six months. It's well done. Well, it, it, it actually reflects a lot more than that. It's, it's like um, during the pandemic, when I was sheltering at home, I put a lot of my time into music. So I've, I've written quite a lot of material. And one thing about the Kindness album that's special is it's in some ways it's like the, the greatest hits with some new material as well. I started to work with Eric Belke of Hudson Harding Music and Glenn Barrett from Morningstar Productions. Eric um, is someone who brings music to the global folk DJ community and Glenn works with him in the production. He's a twice Grammy winning sound engineer. So I had them do the mixing and mastering on home. And this album charted number 18 on the Global Folk DJ chart, which I was absolutely blown away and delighted with. So seeing how well they do what they do, I decided I wanted to make sort of the greatest hits that would be something for the folk DJ community. So my kindness album includes some of the songs from my catalog, you know, curated specifically for the folk community. And some of the songs, like the song Kindness, has a whole new arrangement. Um, There's another song here, Uplift Me, that it's the first time it was ever released. Um, So there's new material. There's everything has a different mix. Some have different arrangements. And so it's sort of like a, a greatest hits with a specific target for things that the folk music community will appreciate. Wow! Yeah, um, just just like um, just like a reading about um, about the album. Certainly, a lot of very uh, meaningful songs on there. One of them being um, uh, "Let the Love," which you had actually released back in 2019. Yeah, let there like- be love. Right. That one of the things I I'm very grateful for is the opportunity to write songs for good projects or organizations. And the Global Light Up the Love Foundation is a wonderful movement. It's a movement trying to help people understand that the common denominator that we all have as people, one can say, our common human superpower is love. And if we learn to be love every day in every way, we can transform the world, which is very much needed. So I wrote Let, um, Light Up the Love for the Light Up the Love Global Foundation, incorporating all of their principles. And so, yes, I released that in 2019 on my In Grace album. For the, uh, the re-release, was there anything different about the song? Did you like tweak the sound a little bit, add some new lyrics? Well, okay. The lyrics are, are the same, um, but the... For a couple of the songs, the arrangements are different. Kindness is an example of of that that has a whole new arrangement. Um, And all of them have different mixes. 
some of them have a few other instruments thrown in that are different than on the original release. But the way you mix a song makes a huge difference in the way it sounds. Oh, and the way that when Eric and Glenn are working on songs, the way they mix the song is the highest bar I've ever seen. I was just on a radio show last weekend, and when the radio DJ heard the songs, because I brought him the album and he played from the album, he immediately said, like, this is top, top shelf in terms of the production. So what I can say is even songs that were released on another album have been brought to a whole other level with a new mix, sometimes different instruments thrown in, but they're all new mixes and some new songs and some new arrangements. Hmm. Now, you've been doing this for a fair number of time now. So when it comes to working with studios and producers, do you have a certain set of uh, criteria that you kind of like look for before you say, OK, I'm working with this guy? Well, yes. I mean, I've been working with Doug Hammer for a good 10 years and I I'm trying to. I think this is my 12th studio album. I, one I released when I was like in my early 20s, so that was in a whole other period. But maybe this is the 12th since 10 years. But um, I, I start to lose track if, if, it, if it's the 12th in 10 years as opposed to the 12th at all. But um, Doug is wonderful in terms of we do a lot of the recording and the editing and sort of what I'll call the rough mixing and before I found Eric and Glenn, we did the, the mixing and mastering. When I found Eric and Glenn, I realized that they can they have such a high bar for what they do because I want whatever I do to be the best it possibly can be, that they are definitely my go-to people in terms of making it the best it can be. So I can do all the source work, like figuring out the musicians and bringing them in. Occasionally, actually, I have another new song that came out May 1st that I co-wrote with um, Mike Greenlee, who's a wonderful lyricist colleague. And I wanted that song. That one is called Let There Be Love, which was written for the times we're living in. And I wanted the whole production of that album, you know, to be the best it could. So that was a case where I just let Eric and Glenn even source the musicians. My voice was on the album. I recorded the vocal track, but they even had someone else playing piano in a completely different way than I ever would. And musicians that I don't know that are in their top shelf Philadelphia network. So I am probably going to give them some other songs to, to, um, to play with because they did a phenomenal job. The song Unstrummed, which was just released basically today, I did that one a little differently too. It's a, um, it's, it's sort of old classic R&B style with a little blues in it because it's about the unsung Delta blues musicians. And I let Doug Hammer play piano because he's a way better blues piano player than me. And Doug Cortler, who's a phenomenal um, sound engineer, singer, songwriter, producer, he played guitar. He played a, a electric guitar, bass guitar, and drums for, for the album, for that particular song. And of course I did the singing. So I let other people come in who were better stylistically at the style I was going for than me. And I'm very grateful that both Dougs are here and I can work with them and can do, you know, they can be total producers. They can be sound engineers. They can be instrumentalists. They have lots of talents, but I had the master done by Eric and Glenn because they do such an amazing job. So that's basically where I am. And, you know, should I work with other people it would be because there was something about their sound that would be able to get a song to the highest level possible and express the message the best it could be too.
I'm curious. Do, do you tend to get like a lot of requests from other musicians saying, "Hey, I would I would like love to work with you on a song sometime." It's more. I, it's more like I've had people asking, "Can you write a song for?" That's more that my, what's <laughs> happened for me. There have been causes or organizations or events where I've been asked to write a song. Um, in terms of other musicians who've said, "Can we work together?" I would love for that to happen more. You know, what I could say, like Mike Greenlee and I collaborated and did a co-write. We both met through someone named Grant Malloy Smith. I was in a master class with Grant Malloy Smith, and he had he actually co-wrote a song with Mike called I See You, which I covered on my home album. It's the only thing I've covered in my last two albums before um, Kindness, which has two covers on it. And I just love the song. It's it's about older Americans and how invisible they feel. And that's why it's called I See You. And it was so from the heart. And that's how I met Mike. Because when I covered it, I put it up on YouTube. He saw it and he had a response. He thought I really did a gorgeous job. And I explained I was actually going to arrange it and record it and put it on my home album. So we started to develop a friendship. And that's why when it was time to write Let There Be Love, we, we both tend to be a from the heart style you know, author. And, you know, we can write, we wrote the lyrics together. I wrote the music, but it was a real joy because we're very much on the same wavelength. And I'm sure we will write more songs together down the road. So I'm very open for people to, you know, co-write, to collaborate. It's just a real pleasure to be able to work with other people. Before the pandemic, there were a handful of musicians I worked with like for gigs there are people for gigs I've worked with and people have asked me to sort of be part of a team. Like if there's a songwriters in the round, I've been asked to be part of that. Um, since the pandemic, I've basically been performing solo other than my August show last year where it was a triple release album because my two 2020 albums lost their show. And my first 2021 album, which is called monuments of love needed a show. So I brought a bunch of my musician colleagues in and it was really joyful because I hadn't played with anyone else forever because of the pandemic. But um, I don't have regular people to play with now. And given the way the pandemic is, when I'm doing gigs, they're outside, you know. Um, I, have a, I actually have one coming up in July with a California singer-songwriter named Ariel Silver, who's wonderful. She had a podcast and I was a guest on it and we both played songs and talked about books. And that led us to have the show at One Broadway Collaborative in July, which is really fun. So things like that happen. But, you know, trying to figure out how do I collaborate with new people when with this pandemic, we've been so far apart. It's a whole different world. All right. I want to talk about your overall theme of your of your music, because your music is so like positive and uplifting. I'm curious how you maintain that kind of attitude, especially with the way things are right now. Well, that's a lot of my purpose for being in the world. From the heart to the heart. My other other career is as a, a heart-centered mind-body psychotherapist. So healing the traumatized heart is what I do from every possible angle. And for me, when I'm able to work with something incredibly difficult, like the Uvalde shooting, grab me. Just, I mean, I wrote a song called Tree of Life when the Tree of Life shooting happened. There, there, when George Floyd you know, was murdered, I wrote a song. When things happen in the world that are devastating, the way I process it is through my heart and usually through music. And even 
Prayers, which has become a pandemic anthem that's on my Monuments of Love album. I wrote that when my friend Bob DeChico went into the ICU onto a ventilator with bad COVID, you know, in, in April of mid-April 2020 and used it as a, a way to literally bring people to send prayers to him. He was in the ICU for four weeks three more weeks in the hospital with double pneumonia and a blood clot in his leg, a hundred days in rehab, finally released. He made it through and worked very hard for many months to get his voice back. But when I'm touched by something at a deep level, I want to make a difference and I want to write something that's relatable for people. So my songs are that way. They're from the heart to the heart and they often do strike a chord and Writing things that are honest, authentic, and uplifting are so needed in this world. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I really think we need a lot more of that. And what's kind of nice is that your songs also touch on a lot of pretty, pretty serious issues. Talk about things like ending violence and prejudice. Yep. What role do you think music has in affecting that kind of like social change? Actually, I think it's one of the most powerful tools for social change because Music cuts deeper than words. Music is deeper than any language. In fact, music is a language that touches all hearts, regardless of your culture. There's something about when you sing from the heart, it reaches directly to the heart, so it can bridge all divides. It can be a tool of healing, a tool of bringing people together. And I have written a number of songs that could be considered sort of anthem songs like Be the Light, which is the opening song on Kindness, which is another song that a lot of people like. I wrote that after Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem, which touched me deeply. She said, rather than just seeing the light, we should be the light. So it, in essence, the song is like an anthem for humanity. But my vision is to bring a group of people, all ages, all backgrounds together and to sing the song together. There's even uh, a line, you know, joining voices as we singing, let us know that we belong. So when we sing together, when we hear music, we can feel our connection. The divides are bridged and there's the opportunity for healing. I think the big thing that I really want to talk about was the song Our Children's Prayer, which, as you mentioned, was written uh, shortly after the Evaldi shooting. What happened that made you want to write this song? Like, what kind of uh, brought the lyrics to your mind? Well, a theme for a lot of my songwriting over the past couple of years is what is life like through the eyes of our children? I have a song that's on my home album called Nightmare in the Capital, which is was based on January 6th. It was a song that was very relevant in response to the anniversary of January 6th and got written up in the paper. And it's very relevant right now with what's going on. So with what, what happened with Evaldi, I just, you know, there were, there were images of all the different children that were coming through the media and hearing little bits about the children. And I was just imagining what was it like both to be the children that died and the children left behind. And when people die, this is my kitten, my main kitten, kitten Lily, who's been making an appearance. <laughs> I could see her in the background, and I, and I was going to warn you. I was like, your cat's kind of wandering around, and things are going to happen. <laughs> yes, this is Lily, and she is deciding she wants to be on a podcast tonight. But um, basically, just as I learned more about the children, and there's the whole thing about bringing flowers to people's graves, the song opens in the voice of the children saying, Please don't leave me flowers at my grave. Please don't say my death proved that I'm brave. You know, remember Columbine, 
1999, 200 plus school shootings since that day. Please don't tell my mom to stop her tears. You shot a soul, uh, you shot a hole inside her filled with fear. You know, it's, it's like basically the voices of the children who died and the choices, the voices of the children left behind, because both the children that died could be saying, please don't leave me flowers at my grave, but also the children left behind who are terrified that this is going to happen to them. So what motivated the song was, again, trying to look at life through the eyes of the children. How do you accomplish that? I just literally feel into if I were a child, what does it look like? What does it feel like? I mean, perhaps because of what my other work is, where I listen to people talk very deeply about their experiences, I'm used to hearing what it's like to be inside of other people's skin. So that's something that comes pretty naturally. Um, and even I have, I have one client who has two grammar school age kids and she was talking about how her seven-year-old daughter, they do drills to prepare for gun violence, which breaks my heart. Why should a seven-year-old child be doing a drill to prepare for gun violence should it happen? And how one of the strategies was for one of the children to throw crayons at the shooter, which breaks my heart. Like, first of all, if someone has a gun, that's probably not going to do anything. It's, I guess it's a way to try to empower the kids, but it just breaks my heart that they, a child would be taught that, that would be even a framework. So her daughter, when she got to practice throwing the, the crayons at the shooter, you know, it, it gave her a sense of power. So listening to stories like that, you know, looking at what children are actually going through. And just even, this is something after I wrote the song, but this is the kind of thing that helps me step inside. Last weekend, for the first time, I went to the Museum of Fine Arts since before the pandemic. I love the Museum of Fine Arts, but I wasn't going inside into buildings. And I decided I'd go, and I went with my son, who's 26, and my partner. And as we were walking around to the front of the Museum of Fine Arts, there were these loud noises. They sounded to me like firecrackers, but you know, I, I was sort of startled myself and I wondered, could that be a gunshot? And there were a series of them. And there was were two young younger people who are probably, you know, college student age who are walking toward us. And when those loud noises came, I saw their eyes. I saw the terror in their eyes. And they first continued walking. And then when there were more of those sounds, they turned and started to quickly go the other way, almost running. So when I see things like that, that just really cuts deep about what it is to be living in these times and the effect of all the gun violence. In fact, I, I counted, I've written five songs in the last two and a half years about what it's like to be a child right now through the eyes of a child. And I've written four songs about trying to see what can be done to end gun violence. And I haven't even counted all the ones like Let There Be Love, Light Up the Love, you know, Be the Light, those kinds of songs, the anthemic ones that are trying to bring us all together. What do you think these songs kind of add to the overall discussion? If people listen, like the our children's prayer is pretty raw. At the very end, you know, the the child says, hear my message, let my life be the one you save. And that's a call to action. And my hope is songs that help people feel inside, connect them to their feelings and their humanity. It's like very easy to go numb right now. 
It's very easy to just try to tune it out and act like it isn't happening, just like the pandemic. We are still in the pandemic. It is not done with us. People say, I'm done with it. But the pandemic is not done with us. And as a result of people being done with it, and mind you, I understand the burnout. I understand it's no fun the way life has changed in so many ways. It's also no fun to have people you know die or be in the ICU from it. And I know both of those things. Um, so people just like push it away like it isn't there. And that's really not good for us. So if we can be brought to feeling something at a human level, perhaps that will move us to actually get together with other people. Because a lot of these issues are so complicated that most people feel no power, no agency, and no ability to make a difference. Yet, if we come together with other people, even in our own communities, we can look at how do we make it safer in our community? What can we do with each other to help each other? You know, how do we all help give our children that village they really need right now when the village is broken? I believe that if people listen to the message of the song and it touches them, it might help people gather together, whether I literally at some point when it's safe enough, bring people together in song. I have an idea for a show that I'm percolating exactly how to do it. I have a couple different ways to do it, but it's called songs at the heart of our times. And I have a whole bunch of songs for that show, but I don't want to just do it as me. I'd like some other singer songwriters and colleagues to join me. I have a couple people, one I've reached out to another I'm going to reach out to and whether I just have it be a couple people or more of a team. Cause I like to do sort of group shows where different people each add something of their own. I think shows like that make a difference too. Cause there's a message in the show and there's also a message when a group of musicians are together delivering a message. It's very different than just one person. So I believe those kinds of shows can also make a difference and touch people. Now, one of the things that I got from listening to your songs is that everything is very carefully worded. Do you spend a lot of time pouring over the lyrics to make sure you get it just right? Well, here's the way I would put it. I'm, I write from the heart, not from the head. So I really wait till things move me and pull at me. I, you know, as sometimes just phrases come to me and I write them down and sometimes things come in very complete pieces and sometimes they come in fragments. <clears throat> so I sort of meditate on it and I try to see what feels cohesive and coherent, what really expresses <clears throat> what I feel because feelings aren't always translated into words. And sometimes I'll go back when I have an almost complete piece and do a little wordsmithing, but most of it is a more organic process of translating felt experience into language. How about when the song is done? How do you know? How do you know when it's complete, no more tweaking, no more changing? I usually just get a feel for it. You know, sometimes, like, I'm in a songwriting group, a wonderful songwriting group, Andy and Judy, who live um, in the Bridgewater area. Uh, they are the, the people that host it. And Tom Irving is another member, David Jackson, Brenda Meehan, Steve Ferraro. We, we haven't met in the last month or so, but for a number of years <clears throat> preceding the pandemic and moving through the pandemic, we've had monthly gatherings. And that's a place where I can take a song and get feedback. So that's one place that, that helps me, <clears throat> but it's, it's more of an internal sense because what's interesting is most of my songs, when I bring them to the, the group are pretty, all pretty done. 
you know, they have little tweaks here and there, which I greatly appreciate. Every now and then, <clears throat> I actually, I wrote a song called A Recipe for Hope, which is going to be a 2023 album. I have two 2023 albums in the works. One is called Everyday Legends, which is a song about our children, the potential in every child. It's a powerful song. And the second album that I'm still writing all the material for is called A Recipe for Hope. And the title song, which is called A Recipe for Hope, has a sort of complex image <clears throat> that came from when I was in a grammar school chemistry class and we did an experiment with a prism and a piece of paper where I learned that if you bend the, the light just right, um, you can burn a hole in the paper by channeling the light of the sun, which had a very profound impact on me as a child. I realized it was like, it was like magic alchemy and that it was a metaphor for the creative process and how if a person has a vision, we can literally create something in the world. So I was writing a song about that and it's not an easy thing to write about. So when I first wrote the song and I brought it to the songwriting group, they suggested you know, that I circle back around a little more to the actual experience to complete the song. So I did, I actually put a, a bridge in and I, I added a little more verse to it to make it circle back around. And it makes it much more relatable when that was one of the more complex images I wanted to convey. So that's an example where having the feedback of some fellow songwriters is incredibly valuable. What are some of the songwriters that you would say, like their opinion is essential when, uh, when it comes to like a new project? Well, there, I mean, there are people I don't necessarily have regular access to who I think are really brilliant. Like Ellis Paul, he's a brilliant songwriter. And he's a brilliant wordsmith. And I, you know, before the pandemic, I was fortunate enough. He has a something called the New England Songwriters Retreat. <clears throat> and in 2018 and 2019, I had the privilege of being there. So when when I was there and got to sort of see his craft and the way he does it, that was really powerful. And while I was there, you know, I could present a song that I was in the middle of writing and get some feedback. So he's somebody who I think has incredible gifts to give to refine and nuance songs. So that's one person who stands out. Um, in my own community, I think, you know, Andy and Judy and David Jackson and Brenda Meehan and Tom Irving and, you know, that all of them are my colleagues and they have valuable insights as well. So some of it is a matter of, you know, the people I have more immediate access to. I also have a friend named Lisa Wexler, who I met in the Arlington laundromat when she was 21, when I was 21 and she was 26. And we've been lifelong soul sisters and musical friends. And we collaborated for three years in the first three years we knew each other. I will often send her my new songs before anyone else hears them because we go very deep into one another's songs. She does the same with me and give each other feedback. So I value her feedback. Also, Doug Hammer, you know, I've worked with him for so long. I value his feedback, Doug Kortler. So there are some people there. But if I have a very specific song about something, I might go to somebody. For example, when I was writing the song Unstrummed, Diane Cameron Elam was writing about the unsung Delta Blues musicians. And I asked her, how do I put myself inside their shoes? And so... I, um, she sent me some articles and I read about what the lives were like of the Delta blues musicians and work farms, which were sort of like slavery prisons in, in it. They were horrible. The conditions that people lived in were so horrible. 
And by reading those source articles she sent me, I was able to write a song from the point of view of the character of her book, Cotta Blue, who's sort of a composite of a lot of unsung Delta Blues musicians. So, you know, that's another way that I get my lyrics. I, I do my research on the, the time period and the people I'm writing about so I can step into their role. So as I mentioned earlier, halfway through the year, two albums out. What do you have planned for the rest of 2022? What I have planned for the rest of 2022 is to finish Everyday Legends. I have almost all the songs um, arranged. I think we have just about all the parts in, but there's a lot of editing. When any instrument you have, even when you have a part, there's a ton of editing to get everything right. And then there's mixing the different instruments together into the arrangement. And then there's the part where I I will turn Everyday Legends over to Eric and Glenn for them to do their final mixing and mastering for that album to come out on January 1st. And then I'm starting to work on the album called A Recipe for Hope. So those are my two recording projects. I'm doing some outdoor concerts during the summer. I'm also um, working on the, the, I've co-founded an artist alliance group called the Women in Music Gathering. And we do an annual show in November at the Burren. And it's the first Sunday of November. So we're going to put that show together. And a number of us in the group actually wrote a group song, which is really cool for the group. So that's a project. I just recently became the the Boston area, which to me is Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Southern New Hampshire for the International Singer Songwriters Association. So having just been put in that position, looking at how to organize some of the members in that geography and see if we might do some shows together and if we might do some, whether it's on Zoom or in person, meet and greets, just to get to know each other and support each other. And then the other piece is this this song, um, this idea of songs at the heart of our times. I, I'm going to turn that into some sort of show, whether it's just with a couple of colleagues or more of a team. That is a show I want to put together because there are songs with messages that need to be heard. And I would love, love, love to get some media coverage of some of these things, because in addition to having a show that for the people there, they get the benefit. And if we record it, people can watch it. I do think the the spirit behind the show, the more it gets out into the media, and perhaps if that can lead to more opportunities to offer the show, the more people we can both uplift and perhaps even inspire to take part in their communities to make a difference and have more hope. Well, Linda, as always, uh, great talking to you. Certainly a lot going on. And for the folks at home, you go to lindamarksmusic.com for more information. Of course, the, the, the most recently released album, Kindness, now out there. You can get it in physical yep. form. You can get it on Spotify, of course. Stream this stuff in the background all day long if you can. Follow her socials. Thanks again, and I'm sure we'll be uh, talking soon. Thank you so much. I really, oper- I really appreciate the opportunity, Max. We'll be taking a quick break. And when I come back, I'm talking with Vancouver-based singer-songwriter and actress Sarah Toll. Like Linda, Sarah has some uplifting messages in her work, such as body positivity and loving yourself. Sarah talks about what inspired her to release her music beginning in 2021 and her goals as an artist. We also dive into Sarah's film career and the role she'd like to pursue. In the meantime, here is Linda Marx's recent release, Our Children's Prayer, written after the Uvalde shooting from the children's point of view. 
Don't bring me flowers at my grave Don't tell me my death proves that I'm brave Remember Columbine in much to dive into. The thing that I want to kind of start off with is just a very like positive uplifting message of your music. It seems like you're really yeah. pushing to get people to feel better about themselves. You know, like like it or not, especially it's all about like body positivity, feeling good about who you are and how you look. I'm just kind of curious as to how these themes kind of became part of like your music, like why you want to share these messages. 
You know, that's a great question. I've asked myself that a lot because you know what happens is most of my, my diehard fans are like under the age of five. It's my kids, my what's my friends' kids are all obsessed with the music. And they're like, Sarah, your, your demographic is definitely four-year-olds. And I'm like, great, that's great. I can do that. Um, I'm thinking, why do I always write music that's so, it just ends up being really like playful and childlike. I think that a lot of work as an artist like me, at least it comes from like that inner child that like, for me, the music is so related to play. And I don't know, I guess my, I, I liked being a child. It was a good time for me. I grew up on a farm and I think there's just like a lot of, a lot of sunshine in there, you know, it just kind of comes out that way. Yeah. Although I will say that I have curated a bit. I have, I have some more somber or serious stuff but it tends to be things that I prefer just singing alone rather than like uh, investing a lot into producing and releasing. I like this angle, you know, like, like uh, you play for the kids, you get them in while they're young and when they get older, they realize, Oh, that's yeah. what the song's yeah. about. <laughs> that's right. She says, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, it's a good angle there. I like, I like, I like get that them while they're young. Exactly. That's right. So it, it, Everybody's about the, what is it? The gen, What's the one you're supposed to get? The Gen Z? I'm going for like whatever's younger than Gen Z yeah. at this point. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Yeah, yeah. But you've only been doing music for like a little while. You actually you actually started doing this in February of 2021. And you've released several singles, uh, all of them really, really doing well. Um, what made you decide to actually do this? To say, okay, I have the ideas. I'm going to get them out there and let the world hear them. A thousand tiny nudges. It yeah. was. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Have you had that moment where you sort of emerged creatively on something? It feels like for me, it was just a thousand tiny nudges. I mean, the roommate got an amp and then the roommate got a looper and I started playing with the looper and then we got a microphone and I started playing with the microphone. And it was just one little step after another until the natural point was like, okay, I don't, I don't have the skills to produce this myself. So next step is... I guess get a producer, Google search. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, when it came to um, uh, releasing your music, did you have any like hesitation there? No. Nice. No. <laughs> I'm, I probably should hesitate more in my life, but that's just not in me. <laughs> I don't think you should. We hesitate yeah. and we self doubt and so forth, and we're just like, and then we don't do the thing, you know. Like you said, you yeah. have those those like the uh, the thousand tiny nudges. But some folks don't listen to that. They just ignore it. And then they just miss out on whatever their dream is. Yeah, totally. And it just depends on where you're at, you know? I mm. think, you know, one big nudge, actually, was reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And in that book, it's like you work on it over time. It's kind of like a workshop. And mm -hmm. a lot of those, it was interesting because, you know, a lot, you could tell when people got to a point in that book that they were not resonating with or the blocker, they were not ready to work with that blocker. That's when they stopped. Um, so I think it really just depends on like, where's the level you're ready to take yourself to. And if it's not time to jump that hurdle, you just get on the horse, you'll come back to it later in a year or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. You started releasing music last year, but um, had you been like singing like on your own writing on, on your own for a while? Yeah, yeah, I would say it's kind of a natural tendency for me. I've been, I, I guess, 
I've been so- writing songs all my life and I tend to sing all the time. Like if I'm walking around, I do a lot of singing or lyric writing or even like translating. I like to, you know, you translate lyrics in your head. I spend a lot of time up here in the head, but <laughs> yeah, I didn't really realize that that's what I was doing. I just kind of always wrote songs just because that's like a way I lived, <laughs> hmm. I guess. Yeah. 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 I wasn't really... I didn't realize how many songs I had until, yeah, like a year ago. <laughs> Every musician usually will have like 10 songs on their like mental back burner. They'll, they'll like release an album yeah. and they'll say, yeah, you know, the second album's already pretty much like, um, I'm like half done at this point. The songs are written. I just got to like get them mastered and such. Yeah, totally. Everybody, I mean, who knows how everybody works, but I feel like you have a big backlog of, I've got a chorus here. I've got a good melody I like there. Just keep them there until they sprout. <laughs> What's uh, the songwriting process for you usually like, especially given the depth of what you sing about? Hmm, that's a good question. Usually my songwriting process starts with uh, either, it starts with uh, something very rote and routine usually, something physical helps. So most of my songs pop out when I'm either practicing chords or scales or like trying to do a new hand position on banjo and just like exercising the fingers. The, the repetition of that just helps a lot for me. And um, another repetition, repetitive activity that helps a lot for me is walking. Tend to get a lot of good songs when I'm walking. And I just, I just, when they come to me, like a little melody or a little, a little lyric that really fits together well, I try to do a a quick voice note or record something, write it down. And um, every once in a while I get super lucky and the whole song just like downloads all at the same time. And I'm like, yes. Uh, other times I'll get a piece of a song at one point and I'll have to just kind of sit on it for a while until the rest of it like comes, but it's usually just kind of comes when I'm, when I'm doing something where I least expect it. <laughs> <laughs> Does it ever like surprise you to realize, you know, I'm a musician now you've been doing this for about like a year and a half. You got like six singles out right now. I believe, you know, this is you, you're here, you've arrived. Oh Yeah. I probably don't really have a full understanding of myself as a musician. I mean, that's always going to evolve, but it's felt really weird to even call myself a singer or I'm like a songwriter. I can get behind, but like a singer, a musician, it does feel a little bit weird. (laughs) Yeah. And I think especially to really begin your career during COVID, you know, when a lot of, when a lot of other careers had to be just be like put on hold, but it's funny because I've yeah. heard a lot of artists, whether they're musicians or writers, they've really gotten their start during COVID because they had time to so like, forget about it. I'm just going to write this music. I'm going to make this book. I'm going to do it because what else am I going to do? Yup. Yup. <laughs> the, the boredom incubator thing. It's really important for art that, that just that sitting around just doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> especially musicians too so many of them have gone on to like build their own studios because like you know what i was working on this album covid shut down my studio i'm just gonna make my own studio instead yeah that's awesome (laughs) that's really cool yeah how about you do you uh work with a studio i work with an independent producer who who has his studio he's got a really slick space in the radio cbc what's it cbc building in vancouver um so that's pretty cool. But I mostly just work at home on, on the songs when I'm writing them. I tend not to write in the studio, at least yet. I think that'd be super fun. 
but most of the time I'm just at home in my living room, which has almost no living space in it and only instruments. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, I saw I saw some of the um, the pictures. You also play the banjo among other things. Yeah. I love the banjo. It's so fun. Have you ever picked one up? Never played, no, but I love the sounds it makes. Like, the banjo is such a cool, like, obviously, it's a very, very, like, folky instrument. I think we kind of all associate the banjo with, like, folk music. But just the yeah. just the sounds it makes are so really cool. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It's so wonderful. The banjo just, maybe that's why all my songs feel happy. It's hard to write a really sad song on the banjo. <laughs> no, I, you can't do it. I, I don't think you can do it. Guitar, yes, no. but a banjo, no. It just sounds way, it just sounds happy to be there. Yeah, it's so wonderful. Oh, I love it. I oh. always loved the banjo. And I was, I don't know, last year I was just like, man, I'm going to learn banjo. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you uh, self-taught? Um, A little bit self-taught. I definitely took some YouTube videos to get me started. And um, then I found a local teacher named Devin Wells who plays in a couple bluegrass bands. And he's like really, really good. And so I got him to teach me a little bit. And I also found somebody on TikTok whose style I really liked. So I got him to teach me a little bit. And he lives down in North Carolina, I'm pretty sure. Learning music through YouTube and TikTok. I love it. Yes, yeah. It's great. TikTok's been great for networking, I have to say. There's a lot of musicians on there who are very friendly. I had no idea. Yep. So let's let's talk about your your new single, Game We Play. This oh, is yeah. recently released and I absolutely like love the song, but what are some of the different themes you kind of explore with this one? Oh boy, Game We Play. You know what it kind of kind of is like I kind of tell people it's kind of like Joni Mitchell's circle game or um, what's that pave paradise and put up a parking lot song yep, I forget yep. what that song's called but yeah it's it's a little bit rebellious the song is a song that just walks through some practical scenarios from life about conventions or status quo and just asks to reposition them like is this really necessary is this is this really what we're doing um, so that was my song to kind of poke poke fun and start to come out of my shell a little bit about my my more rebellious or ridiculous stances on things. And I really like the questions you're asking with the music. Is this stuff that you really are like passionate about? Oh my, maybe, maybe I'm passionate about it. If people tell me I'm opinionated, maybe I'm just opinionated about it. But yeah, I love to think about things. I love to see things from multiple perspectives. And especially when there's a situation um, that's very charged, something political, religious, moral. Um, I don't I don't necessarily like arguments very much, but I I love to dig into like the fundamental constructs or the structure of thinking behind a uh, belief and and be like, what if like that construct was flipped? What if is that really morally wrong? or do we just think it's morally wrong? And I just love, I love, uh, I probably should have t- taken some philosophy classes. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. But you raise a good point. It's like, why do we look at the world through this way? Why do we look at this as beautiful and that as ugly? Why, you know, do we accept certain things? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's, yeah, there's just so much to explore in life. It's so fascinating when you really stare at something long enough or think about it long enough. It's all just so fascinating. You can get really immersed into 
in, in, into anything really. Um, so I, I love doing that with my music and exploring that. Do you feel that you're gaining some new perspective on these things kind of through the songwriting process? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because you know how sometimes it just kind of a lyric pops out that you're like, do I believe that? And then you're like, I guess I do. That is weird. It's kind of like journaling when you write something down and you think, oh my gosh, I am mad at my ex-boyfriend from seven years ago. That's what's holding me back. You make those discoveries about, you know, your blurts, like things you just blurt out and then you realize, oh, that is me. That is what I think. Very cool. All right. Now I want to talk about your sound because this is the thing that really caught me right off the bat. You've got a good kind of blend upbeat folk style with some cool pop sounds and all kinds of different like instrumentation. How did this become your sound? Did you do any kind of like exploration or experimentation with different styles? Not too, too much. I kind of went straight at it. Um, I just really enjoy songs for myself. I don't, I have to confess, I don't listen to a lot of music. Um, but the music I love is, I have to say, animated soundtracks. I love Tropical House. I love um, music from many countries in Africa and the Caribbean. I love Celtic dance music. I just love those like really spirited and, and, and almost like tribal sounds that feel universally danceable and like hummable. You know, anybody can sing to it. So my music it just kind of naturally became that way. It was like, it has to be fun to dance to. It has to be easy to learn, easy to sing to. I want it to be a participatory experience when people listen to it, that they can catch right on and be like, yeah, get right with it. And this music is very, very danceable. Like I loved just the energy and the flow of it too. Yeah, me too. I love that. I mean, a lot of it comes from Ovi because he, the producer, that I've been working with is from Romania and he's definitely brings in a lot of that like dance, the electronic dance stuff. Um, so yeah, thanks to him for bringing that in. Yeah. I love dancing. Dancing such a fundamental part of experiencing music for me. So I love stuff that makes me want to wiggle my booty. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. Are there any new sounds you think you're going to be exploring for like future songs? hundred percent. I really want to make us, I really want to bring more 70s disco elements in. I love that funky grooviness. Oh, like, you know, just the classic like Saturday Night Fever or what's it called? That Fever movie with, with John Travolta. Yep, that's it. Yep. Yeah, I really want those types of like disco groove elements. And I would love to make a track uh, or an album that brings in more sounds from nature, but modified so that they feel more like tonal or rhythmic. And building songs that use like sound recordings of birds or water or wind or whatever that is, but modified so that they fit Ooh. fit more of like a like a main, mainstream feel. Yeah, I think that'd yeah. be cool. Be kind of like a folky new age style. Yeah, folky new age, but not totally woo. You know, something yeah. that you could still like groove to on the radio and be like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, have you had the chance to take your sound to the stage? No. What? Crazy. Are you, are you serious? Yeah. I've never performed live. I'm totally freaked out about it. But I have been practicing. Like, <laughs> sounds so. I've been practicing standing up. Like, playing banjo on your floor is very different from standing up. 
been practicing with a microphone so that I can get trained up on that. So I am preparing. And um, I think something I've, I've applied to a few coaching programs and stuff because I would love some help from a team that can help me more like plan, orchestrate what type of live experience I would want to create for people. Everything from, yeah, like the design to like the flow of the set, you know, stuff like that. So TBD. I highly encourage this because your music would be so cool to just like groove to live in a club. Yeah, exactly. I need to go on tour with some kind of DJ that can help me reproduce more of the live uh, electronic parts. Mm-hmm. That'd be super fun. Yeah. I do this thing. Come on. What's holding it back? I will do it. I will do it. I really need to practice. I am like, I have to tell you, I am a songwriter and a strategist above the other things. Maybe I'm a performer too. I don't know, but I am a, not a good instrumentalist. There must be other musicians out there who are terrible instrumentalists. I couldn't record a full song. Like I use software to transpose my tracks and I, I loop them so that I only can have to play one good part well, and then I just loop it. <laughs> so it's like, I, I can't get through a whole song. <laughs> you know, I, I am shocked to hear these things, actually. I am shocked <laughs> to hear these things. Can't but, do it. <laughs> but I, I would, no, seriously, though, you really would rock it live. That would be amazing. You know, and you talk about like yes. not being a performer, but you are. Because you're also an actress. You yes, have true. been in four shorts. You are a series regular on the series Hipsterverse, which I want to check out just to just for like the name alone, because like yeah. in Boston and of course the hipster vibe there is very strong. So I Oh yeah. Super strong, super strong. <laughs> How did you get into acting? Because looking at your resume, you have tons of training. So obviously not something you just kind of fell into. Yeah, I just love it. That was another classic sidewalk moment. That's where I get all my just walking around. And then I said, oh, I want to do acting. Like, this is where I'm headed. And I picked acting way before songwriting. Um, Maybe they're related in some way for me at exploring my art. But I just felt like, wow, I, you know, it's a good, uh, good career for my, my strengths and um, a really good challenge. And I love it. What would you say is your, is your like genre of choice? What do you think you're really good at? Quirky comedy uh, stuff. I also screenwrite and the screenwriting is all just, just lame, like funny, dumb jokes. I really enjoy comedy uh, as a, as a genre, but I would love to do a Western because it would be so fun to ride horses all the time. Can't argue with that actually. And you know what? Hearing that you're into comedy not a surprise. I did not see you as like a horror movie uh, devotee. No, hundred percent. No, I won't. I will not be in a horror movie. I would have nightmares. <laughs> so no. So no, like a uh, uh, blockbuster action movie in your future. Probably not. I mean, yeah, probably not. <laughs> so cool. How did you first get into acting though? Like, you know, like, does this uh, go back like years and years? No, no. Maybe when I was, I'm 31 now. I think I might have started when I was like 27 or 28. Hmm. Um, Yeah. And I just jumped right in, you know, (laughs) again, thank you, Google, Google search and just beginner actor classes and started bit by bit, you know, making lots and lots of mistakes, kind of looking a little bit dumb, I'm sure sometimes, but bit by bit. 
working with different teachers around town. Vancouver, Canada is a great place, apparently, to, you know, to train. There's tons of actors here. There's tons of instruction. There's lots of films in production and a lot of pilots as well. TV shows are filmed here. So that's a great place to be in film. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm always surprised to see, like, this movie and that series, you know, up in Canada, filmed in Canada. And uh, I'm not yeah. too sure why, actually. I'm, maybe it's this, the the vibe of the cheaper. place. Yeah, probably it's actually cheaper. cheaper. Yeah, probably. <laughs> actually, um, where I live in Massachusetts, we've, uh, we've been getting a ton of really big movies filmed here because we have a huge, like, tax break for anyone who, oh, like, films really? here. So, yeah, it's been you've seen tons of, like, really, like, major movies being filmed here, studios starting up, growing and expanding. So it's... It's like Massachusetts and Canada, and that's it. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and nowhere else. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I know in Canada, too, there's a couple spots, uh, just where am I, east of Vancouver, that look a little bit, like, westerny enough, you know, a bit dry. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's also, like, some more cowboyish stuff filmed out here as well, which is Getting into acting and music at the age uh, that you did, you know, most people t- tend to start younger. Yeah. Is this something that you kind of like struggle with or was it more just it didn't occur to you to do it up until recently? Oh, man, it just totally didn't occur to me. It would, I just had no desire to do it at all. I just didn't think of it. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that I wanted to be a, when I was getting out of school, I thought I wanted to be an interpreter. Uh, I loved language. I loved traveling. So that's what I thought I wanted to do, but it's not what I wanted to do, actually. <laughs> wow. So what do you want to do now? I feel like you're kind of like settled as your course. Yes, I love, I love working in the arts. This is an amazing community. It's so fun. It's so fun to express yourself and to discover yourself as an artist, to work with other people. It sounds so cliche, but it really is the time spent. It's the process that is so fulfilling in this industry to, yeah, you're, I'm the type of person that I look at the product I made and I'm like, "Eh, I like, I like it. It was good. But the process was so much fun and you just can't get that like back. It's just such a unique and fun experience to enjoy. So I love this industry. I would love to build my, um, a bit, bit of a media brand, uh, help other artists and help build more experience, experiential. Um, so like music experiences where people could go to a physical place and um, it would be like a permanent resort kind of theme park village where people would participate in music yeah, creation yeah. and um, other like guided workshops with artists and stuff like that. Big dreams there. I, I like it. Yeah, it'd be so fun. Yeah. It'd be like the, what's a theme park? It'd be like Dollywood, but Burning Man. Yeah. That's a blend. <laughs> nice. I like the idea. I like it. You know, I've heard so much about Canada just as this really artistic community. And Tell me a bit about the art scene where you are. It's great here. It is great. I mean... I have heard some folks who've been in the industry way longer than me, which is pretty easy to achieve, uh, that, that they prefer being in Toronto because there's a bit more like humming in the, especially in like the R&B scenes and um, yeah, like urban music is, is more popular and supported in Toronto. But out here, I've had a great experience um, with the art scene, tons of actor support, tons of musician support. Um, yeah, it's 
seems like everybody's down to collaborate and very laid back. I guess it's West Coast, right? You know, I would say you see more of that where I am in the Boston area. Oh, really? In Nashville, definitely. Na- Nashville is like collaboration central um, because like you see so many artists who just move down there and they're like, yeah, you know, I moved here. And then like a week later, I was I was collabing with, you know, so-and-so. I was doing a show with so-and-so. I hear that a lot. West Coast, I th- and, and I've never lived there, so I could be totally wrong. Folks, if I'm wrong, say so in the comments. Um, West Coast, I think there's a little more grind out there because everyone's, you know, everyone's there to kind of, you know, achieve their dream and be a superstar and so forth. So I feel like there's no doubt some collaboration, but I don't think as much because, they, again, there's that focus on being the next, like, big thing, basically. That's a good point. And I have heard that people, um, you know, because Nashville has such a strong country undercurrent and folk that for a long time, country has just had this reputation for being a little bit more collaborative than a lot of other genres or whatever you want, verticals. Or so, yeah, I could definitely see that. I have played with the idea of moving to Nashville so many times. Your style would be very welcome there. I promise you that. Yeah, that would be fun. I love American. Is it, can I call it American South? Yeah. That's South. Okay. Yeah. It's not that far south. Yeah. yeah it, it's south enough. It's south enough. South enough. Yeah. It's warmer there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Now, uh, I read that you also come from a very like musical family. Um, how did this kind of like influence you when it came to making your own stuff? Hmm. I don't know. To be honest, I don't really know. Nobody in my family would call themselves a professional musician, but everybody enjoyed making music or or being in like some type of class at school like choir class or um musicals or something like that band and my parents definitely encouraged us growing up to participate in music so i think that had a big big impact on just my that level of trust that you need in yourself in order to to make that step and say this is worth listening to like would I have been able to make that step had I not had that support, you know, all my life? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and yeah. I actually read that your mom also helped you when it came to writing um, uh, "Fight for You." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had recorded a version of the song that just didn't have lyrics. That I just sang like mumble bumble words because it couldn't. I couldn't really think of what I wanted to say in that, and sent it to my mom. And then she kind of sent back this stream of conscious, like, oh, I think of this or this phrase or this, I visualize this. And so I used a lot of those little tidbits that she sent to construct lyrics for that song. That was pretty cool. I would love to make more music with, you know, participation from my family. It would be cool. That would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is next for you? Are you pursuing like acting more than music or are the two kind of like side by side? A little bit side by side, I think. Um, one thing that I would love to explore in the near future is writing for film and TV. And I've had some discussions recently that sound really, really promising. Um, starting to work on hopefully some projects that are pretty, pretty big. So that could be cool, writing for a feature film. But um, other than that, I'm just going to keep it, keep each of the, you know, the acting and the, the song songwriting, I'm just going to keep them going where there is momentum. Um, that's kind of the flow that seems to work for me now is that if there's 
a really great acting opportunity, I'll jump on that and just keep my music stuff a bit on autopilot. And if there's a music thing that I'm feeling really impassioned about, I'll work on that because I know that anything I'm feeling strongly about is ultimately going to be a better product than if I'm just kind of slugging through. Definitely, definitely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. But for the folks at home, if they want to learn more about you and check out your work, where do they go? They can go. First point of contact, whatever, is www.sarahtoll.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-T-O-L-L-E. And that's where I put everything. Um, But I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and YouTube. And all my channels just say Sarah Jane Toll. So that's an easy place uh, to find me as well. And I'm pretty active. I take hiatuses every once in a while, but usually I'm pretty active. Okay. Uh, new music. When can we look forward to that? Oh, boy. You know what I'm releasing next week? I'm releasing a rock remix of the first song I ever made. Ooh. Yeah. It's really fun. It's kind of this anthem style, like stadium rock. So that'll be fun. That's next Friday. And it'll be everywhere. It'll be on Spotify and all the things, you know. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, Sarah, I appreciate you talking to me and definitely loving, loving the music. Oh, amazing. Well, great. Thank you for listening. And thank you for having me here. It was awesome to get to know you and chat. Likewise. And with that, this episode has come to a close. Big thanks to Linda and Sarah for joining me. And if you aren't already doing it, check out their work. I know you'll find something you like. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check the show out wherever you find podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. To close out this episode, enjoy Game We Play from Sarah Toll, which looks at the sometimes funny things we're told to do with our lives. Told me I needed new clothes. I looked at them and said, One minute.